I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Well, actually, I believe it was big swinging dicks. So there was obviously an overexcited imagination on the part of some, I would suggest. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. What's mansplaining, Senator? Welcome back to In the House and In the Senate, where we talk to the women of Australian politics about who they are, what they do and why it matters. In the House and in the Senate is supported by Plan International Australia, the charity for girls' equality. As a leading humanitarian organisation working in 80 countries, Plan International Australia tackles poverty and supports communities through crisis. Plan work on some of the most important issues of our time, from gender equality, sexual and reproductive health rights, sexual harassment and action on the climate crisis. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken-Radburn. I'm a former federal and state political staffer passionate about making a positive change in our world. Let's get into today's episode. Today we're mixing things up and talking to the future of Australian politics. The YAS, or Youth Activist Series, is a 12-month program for young people of all genders and identities between the ages of 16 and 24, facilitated by Plan International Australia and sponsored by The Body Shop. The program aims to skill up young Australians who are passionate about fighting for gender justice. The YAS received training in advocacy and campaigning, stakeholder and government relations, as well as communications and research to then go out into the world and tackle inequality head on. This year, their focus has been their Enough is Enough campaign, focused on lobbying parliamentarians to take action now to ensure that Parliament is a truly safe and equal workplace for all women and people of diverse gender identities and backgrounds. First up, this episode, we'll speak to Plan International Australia CEO, Suzanne Legina, about her work as the CEO of a major Australian NGO. And then we'll speak to two of Plan's powerful youth activists. But first, Suzanne. Suzanne, before we kick off, tell me a little bit about yourself. What was your path to becoming the CEO of a major not-for-profit, Plan International Australia? Yeah, so I started myself being interested in things in the world and changing things in the world when I was the secondary school student. I was involved in a secondary school, you know, international movement for change. We kind of worked on 
um, anti-apartheid campaigns and things like that. And when I left school, I um, mainly worked in service delivery. I worked with homelessness. I worked with in, in sort of domestic violence shelters. I worked with young pregnant women. And I kind of started to realise that I wanted to work somewhere where I wasn't at the cliff where people were falling off, that I wanted to work and understand more like where where the problems were coming from. So I went to work for a senator from South Australia called Rosemary Crowley in 1996 and I wanted to learn about how government worked. So I worked in the federal parliament for that period of time. I've worked um, in the public sector. I've worked as a chief of staff to a minister in the Victorian parliament. And when I got the, I spent a lot of that time, and you know this if you've worked in politics, spent a lot of time managing issues, managing stakeholders, sometimes trying to make make things not be in the newspaper, make them not be news by coming up with solutions behind the scenes. And I thought, you know, the next job I do, I want to put, I want to make the things that matter and I want to put them in the newspaper. I want to make the issues that I care about become, um, you know, on the agenda. And I wanted to use what I knew about change and I thought, you know, um, at that stage, I was, I was married. Um, my husband had a child from a previous marriage and we'd been trying to have a baby. My sisters had had children and it didn't look like we were going to have kids of our own. And I kind of thought, well, maybe I could be a, like a kick-ass auntie. I could, I could to my nieces. And then I thought this job came up at plan. I thought, you know, maybe I can like work, you know, for the world's most vulnerable, poorest children and young people. It was a connection back to me as a young person as well. Plan doesn't just work for young people, you know, for young people, it works with young people. And that was really resonant for me. And it was like a coming home in a way to my social justice roots, to the things I cared about, but now with a whole arsenal of like how to make change happen. And so that's how I came to start my job at Plan. And within a year, you know, my last IVF cycle, I got pregnant and I had, I did. And I had a baby, a baby girl. And in a way, that just made me more determined. In a way, having a child of my own just made me think, I want for her what I want for every child in the world. And it kind of spurred me on and I kind of made me like more furious in some ways at what was going on in the world and spurred me on to kind of say, I want to have maximum impact in the world that I can. And when the job came up, uh, the person who'd been in the job was the CEO for 17 years. The job Uh came up and I applied as an internal candidate. I just thought I'm not going to get it, but I will be the floor. People will have to be better than me. And when I got it, honestly, it could have like knocked me over with a feather and I have been waiting for someone to tap me on the shoulder ever since and say, Oi, what are you doing here? I mean, <laughs> I don't I don't think you should describe yourself as the floor because you're clearly <laughs> fabulous. What what has the experience been like as CEO? It's been like the toughest and perhaps most rewarding job I've ever done. Um, if I knew what was involved, would I have gone for it? I'm not I'm not sure. <laughs> what do you mean um, by that? It's just, it's a really lonely job. Um, Everyone, you know, expects, there's a lot expected of you. The thing I'm struck by, I'm I'm in the middle of homeschooling at the moment in a global pandemic. And uh, like many, many, many people, so I'm not making myself special here, but what I'm struck by was, you know, as a leader, you're expected to turn up in a certain way. People are looking to you to be calm, to be positive, to be optimistic, to help navigate them through this difficult time. And sometimes that 
that's not how you feel, but it's oh, how you have to show you're, up. You're, you're human, right? Like I feel like sometimes it's like I'm a human being. I'm bloody like I've got to mm-hmm. pack the dishwasher. That's my number one priority at the moment. Like things, it must be a challenge. Well, you know, yesterday I completely lost it, like with my daughter after a day of like incessant interruptions in front of my entire team on a Zoom call. I thought the video was turned off, but it wasn't. <sighs> And I I was mortified, like by my own behaviour, to be honest. I mean, I was just at the end of my tether and I was struck by, you know, oh, my gosh, everyone's seen this. I was embarrassed, a bit ashamed. And then I kind of thought to myself, maybe there's something in that. Like they're seeing the actual struggle with the juggle and maybe what they're seeing is my humanity and how hard this is to do. And you know what? Um, Maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it'll make people feel less alone if they're struggling too and they will recognise that, you know, we have to help each other in this situation because yes. there's no other way out of it. Yep. I think I think it's incredibly important and I think that you're – I think it's completely understandable. I love how you said the struggle with the juggle. Like it's just – we're going through a global pandemic. Yeah. Now, Plan International Australia's core mission is equality for girls. How have you felt about the news headlines coming out of Canberra over the last year? Yeah, I mean, I was really struck, I think, at the time that the kind of news around Brittany Hickens was coming out in the news. I did find myself deeply reflective because in 1996 to 1999, you know, I worked as a staffer for a senator from South Australia. I travelled to Canberra with her all the time. I was the same age as Brittany Higgins. So there was this kind of flashback to myself in that time. There were a couple of things that I thought of. One of them was that I was struck by how little had changed in that inter- in the intervening periods. I was also kind of struck by what else I was hearing. Like Grace Tame is the Australian of the Year. Brittany Higgins was telling this story of her assault in Parliament House. And at the same time, Chantelle Contos had her, you know, um, her sort of survey yeah, out yeah. amongst people kind of talking about their experience of consent and sexual mm-hmm. assault and I kept hearing all these things and kept drawing this like thread of connection saying can anyone not see that there is this thread here about this sort of deep I think deep disregard for women and girls in our culture this deep patriarchal problem that we have mm-hmm. that actually I think goes back to our colonization and the way we've treated first nations people and first nations women from the get-go and that it's deeply ingrained in, you know, what it is to be a man here and how that manifests in really, I think, destructive, violent and unhealthy ways. And I kept waiting for someone to draw the connections in a way. And yep. in a way what happened was the the Women's March. And so a whole lot of things got ignited by those events where people were saying enough is enough, which I took heart from. But there was a part of me that was not just horrified. I mean, we'd done research before about um, with with plan, you know, asking girls about their, um, you know, political aspirations. And they'd already indicated that they'd seen the way that Julie Gillard and other women were treated and that really they weren't interested in going there. And I just think a parliament that doesn't represent the people and doesn't have those diverse views around the table is not going to make good decisions and good laws. And I am struck by the fact that that remains true in Australia in 2021. You mentioned your experience as a staffer and the fact it struck you that basically things 
hadn't changed. Can you tell me about a bit about your own experience working as a young staffer and what was the culture like? Was is mm. is it just the same? <laughs> I think I think about it differently now because obviously, I mean, I was a pretty naive person. I didn't come from student politics, for example. I hadn't been a, you know, I hadn't come through the student politics ranks. The way I'd come into my my role was a bit unusual. So I wasn't like, I didn't come with a cadre of friends from student politics or from debating. And I remember when I arrived in in Parliament in Canberra, I was struck by, I mean, it's intoxicating and so interesting. It is that Parliament House is this funny place where, you are in a hotbed and you do feel very removed from the everyday in the real world. You're close to power, whether they're journalists or politicians or senior public servants. You, um, you've got all these ambitious, smart, talented people all kind of gunning for it, trying to do the best that they can, either because of the beliefs they have or because they're personally ambitious. You work hard and you play hard too. And you're there days and nights working, you know. I mean, it's a very unusual workplace. And I was really struck when I went there that, um, yeah, I just remember like I used to travel back to South Australia and go and go out with my friends on a Friday night when I'd arrived home and I'd kind of ask them about what they thought was news, you know, what had happened in the week. And it was always so grounding because, you know, I, I'd be thinking these big issues that, you know, had consumed me were it and they would talk about things entirely different. And I remember thinking, oh, I'm glad I have this opportunity to be grounded back in the real world. But a lot of people aren't. I mean, they live inside that that Canberra bubble is a thing. And I remember when I went there, I was I was kind of protected by a group of um, other women staffers in a way who kind of took me under their wing, told me who to avoid, made sure that when we went out, they kind of just kept me, you know, took, took me home in the taxi, just looked out for me because I think I was pretty naive. I was 25. I, I hadn't had a lot of experiences in relationships I didn't really know how to navigate that world and the thing that struck me at the time was the double standard so I remember knowing that you know men who were having relationships with women were that their their status was enhanced but like women who were having relationships with men their reputation was not and that double standard was pretty clear and very obvious and it played out in, you know, it's a place where information flows matter, in rumour, innuendo, and reputations were made and lost a lot in what was not true about what which was circulated. And I think you became very I became very conscious of um how I wanted to appear to others and um that there was a lot at risk in terms of your reputation in that environment. But I feel like at sometimes sometimes as a young woman and a former staffer it feels like there's just endless reviews and you know regarding the culture in parliament we saw the foster review was adopted a few months back and we have the Jenkins review set to be released in November and it can feel sometimes like a lot of talk and not much action what kind of deep systemic change do you think is required at this juncture in Australia to move us closer to gender equality? 
Yeah, I mean, I hear you and I feel you. I mean, I've got 25 years on you and I feel like that too. And I think that's what the marches were about, right? We, we've been marching for this for a long time. It's Is it so much to us that we be treated with respect and mm-hmm. feel safe in our workplaces and in our country, in our homes, on the streets? It shouldn't be that bigger an ask, should it? So, I mean, I think in terms of the parliament thing, I was disappointed this last week that you've seen, you know, the government reject so many of those um, respect at workplace recommendations that's not a good sign is it that you know you're not prepared to really embrace some of that legislative change that would make workplaces safer that doesn't bode well for me for what might happen in terms of the Jenkins review and Parliament House but clearly something needs to change there I think you know we've been talking a lot about and you know in the last weeks and months about violence against women and how that manifests but I think this real issue of gender equality has to be something that we start. And I think it's lots of things that, you know, it starts with um, you know, how we um, educate children, yes. how we challenge gender stereotypes. I think that respectful relationships and sexuality education is really important alongside the consent stuff. I think we do need, like, deep thinking about how we're raising children, how we're, what, you know, who we, who we make heroes in this context, um, what we value, um, you know, I was struck so many times when we do this and I and we work with young women and we ask them who their heroes are, who are the, and they can list a long list of like women that they, they are inspired by. That they, But when I try to come up with the equivalent list of men who wow. are really our partners in this work, it's really hard. There are a few, but there's not that many in public life who I would say, who are really speaking out on behalf of women and who are calling out other men for their behaviour. And that was the thing that struck me during this whole Women's March is like, where are the men? Where are the men in this story? There are some, but not enough, not nearly in the numbers enough to actually shift the the dial. And for me, the story now has to be about how do we get those men who claim to be our brothers, our lovers, our friends, our fathers, (laughs) our sons, to give a shit, totally. to actually care enough to put themselves forward and say this has to stop because we can't change this by ourselves. This is what I feel a bit frustrated by and a little bit, you know, tired by sometimes is how can, like, it's like we hold up half the sky but we can't shift everything by ourselves and that expectation that we can and that we will is driving us nutty and it's exhausting us. We're doing all the work in the world plus all the work at home and now all the political effort to shift the dial. I'm sorry, we need we need more help and we need uh, men to step up. I think, you know, I have, I've been struck by in Australia how few allies we really have when it comes to genuine change on this matter. I think you landed on something that, like, I don't think in all the conversations that I've had recently in this space, I don't think I've, like, someone's really brought that, teased that out. And I think that there's an even, like, it's challenging and it's still the patriarchy upon men when we think about the fact that I think a lot of men don't come out to these rallies because there's this sort of, like, um, it's an internet phrase, but, like, they're being a white knight. Yeah, And it's, like, how do we, I think, I think men are just going to, I don't know what the solution is to that. I think men are just going to have to sort of get past it and stand yeah. with their sisters, stand with their daughters and stand with their friends. Yeah, I mean, we work alongside each other every day. I just feel like 
um, you know, these are conversations I've had with my partner, you know, when we've watched, you know, Annabelle Crabbe's most recent series, you know, um, we're watching it together. And he, for him, this information is sometimes for the first time he's hearing it. And I'm thinking to myself, where have you been? Yeah. You know, and I'm kind of thinking, educate yourself, brother. I mean, you have to, like, this is not my job, but like, this, this is, we've been talking about this for a very long time. The information is there. You know, we we keep telling you this, but you're not listening or you're not listening deeply enough to kind of hear what we're saying and then to get as outraged as we are to want to change it. Suzanne, can you tell me a little bit about Plan International Australia's role in this complex, mm. in, in, in pushing for this systemic change? What is Plan International Australia doing at the moment? So we, you know, we work all over the world with children, young people and their communities. We're trying to lift people out of poverty. We're trying to challenge discrimination wherever we see it. And we see that gender equality is the key, one of the keys we see to both challenging discrimination, poverty, and just to creating a better world for everybody. You know, we have this saying, we say a better world for her is a better world for everybody. And so lifting the tide by really challenging gender equality everywhere. But Obviously, we can't do that in countries where we, other countries in the world, if we're not doing it in our own context. So we work alongside many, many other organisations who are working on this. And we work with young women. We have a kind of program called the Youth Activist Series where we train a group of young women or or female identifying people who, who want to be trained as activists and who want to partner with us in doing some work. And they've been doing a lot of thinking about parliament, in particular political life, and really um, challenging, you know, what needs to change in order to make the kind of parliament uh, a safer space, a more inclusive space, a more diverse space where better decisions could be made um, in the interests of us all. I think it is just incredible work and I really have to thank you for supporting in the House and in the Senate this season. And I am so excited to dive into the work of the YAS, the youth activists. (laughs) Uh, And thank you again, Suzanne, for joining me for this chat. Thank you. Now we're lucky enough to be joined by some of the Young Women Plan International Australia is supporting. Thank you for joining me, Yas. I am so pleased and grateful to talk to you today. To start, I might just get each of you to introduce yourself and tell me what your path was to becoming a youth activist with Plan International Australia. Margaret, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Um, Yeah, my name is Margaret Thanos and I'm a director of theatre and film as well as an activist and a writer. Um, And I have a particular focus on intersectional feminism, climate activism and diversity in the arts. And my process to becoming a yes, um, yeah, it's been really amazing. I think I was sort of looking for some kind of program or opportunity where I could find like-minded young people that were fighting for gender equality. And I was like literally just deep diving the internet trying to find this kind of opportunity and I came across the YAS program and all these amazing people had kind of been through it and yeah I applied and very lucky to have been a part of it this year. Margaret can you tell me a little bit about like your current situation are you studying mm-hmm. is it rude for me to ask how old you are? <laughs> no no not at all um yeah I'm 21 years old and I have finished uni awesome. um and I yeah mainly work as a director although 
not much at the moment given our lockdown but um yeah so a very kind of in the creative arts um which has been pretty hard over the covid period yeah i've got a lot of friends in the arts industry and i just i'm hoping that better days are around the corner liv why don't you tell us about yourself and what your path was to being a yas yes thank you um i'm olivia causa or live to those who know me. Um, I'm 18 years old. I live in Sydney. I'm currently studying a Bachelor of Laws and Arts, majoring in politics and international relations. Um, And I guess how I came to the YAS program, my mum actually brought it to my attention. Um, She saw an ad for it and sent it to me just saying, I think this is something you might be interested in. And Um, I've read a bit more about it and it just seemed like such a wonderful opportunity to meet like-minded people and, you know, challenge myself in an empowered and motivated environment. So, you know, applied and here we are now. Um, Yeah, it's been been such a great experience so far and we're not done yet. So, yeah, it's been really great. I often talk with my girlfriends who are millennials about how – I like the best example I can give is I went along to one of the school strike for climate action rallies and I literally like felt like a boomer up the back being like yes like go everyone like I'm just so floored by young people today and how empathetic and deep like young people think so deeply about the world so it is so amazing it's it's so heartening to see such strong smart people involved in the political arena so early um can you guys identify like one or two things in your sort of personal life or your lived experience that ignited because I find like personally for me if I reflect on my own background I can see things about my life that sort of ignited a passion for to make change and social justice within me is that is that something that you can relate to Margaret yeah absolutely I think I've always had a really keen sense of social justice and I think that's been kind of raised into me from a very young age Um, I come from a quite a political family and I think growing up around that you kind of naturally just pick it up a bit um And I've been really lucky to, you know, see lots of different experiences and communities in our country and the kind of varying levels of different equality that we have across Australia. Um, But I think what really led me to this sort of program and to doing activism more seriously was that when I kind of started becoming a director and, you know, being a leader and leading teams as a young woman, I found you know, people asking me kind of in one way or another, this same question that kept popping up about, you know, whether I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm a threat to, um, you know, men or the patriarchy and whether, you know, I feel that I need to sort of diminish myself or minimize myself or make myself less heard in order to like succeed and continue to grow and find opportunities. And I think, that's really like stuck with me that so many of you know my female friends but also my male friends and all sorts of people have kind of asked me this question in different various ways because I think it's very telling about the culture that we have that exists right now and what 
we are teaching our young people about, um, you know, women who stand up and take space or people from minority communities or any kind of oppression and how, you know, we are sort of reinforcing the patriarchy by keeping that expectation um, and treating our young women who dare to say anything or speak up or, you know, call people out um, as if they're some kind of threat. How do you respond to something like that? Yeah, I think the first time that I got asked it, I like took a really long time to think about what I was going to say. But I think the truth is, you know, I always take it as if, you know, if not now, when? And I know that's different for everybody and everybody has completely different experiences with that kind of uh, situation. You know, I kind of working in the creative field definitely have an advantage in that there's a lot more kind of fluidity and everybody's a little bit more open about opportunities and diversity. Whereas, um, you know, my sister who works in finance has a kind of very different experience, I think, with that question and that situation. But I think ultimately, you know, the more that we stand up and take up space, the more that culture will change over time. And that's why I'm really passionate about continuing to do so. Hell yeah. Olivia, is there anything in your life or background that you felt sort of really galvanised you? I think that probably what has brought me to where I am today, probably about two things, I think, if I'm, you know, doing a deep dive through my 18 years of life. Um, Sorry, like therapy session. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think like my how I was raised and um by my like my mom she's just I'm I feel really lucky to um have been raised by someone so incredible and so open and um accepting of everyone and I think I've just I've been lucky to be in a place where I don't have to change my views like homophobia racism sexism no place in this house (laughs) and I feel really lucky to to that's how I was you know brought up and then I think with those values that were instilled in me to experience and witness um forms of discrimination in society that definitely um ignited a you know a sense of wanting social change but then I think probably the second major thing that um definitely has changed me is my experience with the family courts and as a really I was really young um well not really young I was 11 but you know it feels a while ago now but feeling so silenced and it's a narrative that is really really common among young Australians um and children who don't feel like their voices are being heard and I definitely think that that um has had a big impact on me. I did a lot of public speaking and debating in school and that started from like I was seven. That's been a big passion of mine. And all of my topics that I've um, spoken on have been very much, you know, socially minded, like mental health, or I actually did a speech on the family court and how they treat children. And I think, yeah, just all those sort of combined experiences have really created a me that wants a lot of social change and I think I've grown in confidence with with that and I'm definitely at a point where I'm I'm not going to stop and sit back and wait for someone else to do it 
You guys are both so incredibly articulate. I want to take us to Yasser's campaign this year, Enough is Enough. Margaret, can you tell me a little bit about the Enough is Enough campaign? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So earlier in the year, Plan International came out with this report called the We Can Lead report, which had some pretty shocking statistics about um, they sort of surveyed a series of um, young people and came up with these statistics about the way that we perceive parliament. And um, one of the kind of key ones that I always refer back to is that only 10% of young Australian women believe that the culture in our nation's parliament is safe. Um, And I think when I think about that, I'm like so taken aback by what that actually means in terms of cultural standards that we're setting. Um, And so then the YAS, which is a group of young people, um, including myself and Liv, who um, have been working with PLAN over the course of this year, came up with a series of uh, recommendations that we um, created and we then created a petition um, which received more than a 1,000 signatures. Um, And basically the campaign is calling on the government to make Parliament safer because Uh, We've kind of seen all across the year that um, obviously not enough is being done uh, to make sure that we are actually genuinely inviting people of all different backgrounds and um, experiences into our parliament in a safe way. Um, And, yeah. Oh, I know. I mean, I felt it. So it's so good to see young people leading the charge. Uh, Liv, can you tell me a little bit about the recommendations that have sort of come from we can lead and what the YAS is really calling for? Yes. So the recommendations, um, I actually, there's seven of them and they're really quite accessible, I think. They're not overachieving or asking too much. You know, when the first recommendation is simply to ensure that parliament as well as all workplaces, schools and higher education institutions are a safe and equal place for all people and are free of misogyny and sexual harassment. Like, it's not really a big ask. It's not not crazy. And I think when you read something like that, it really puts into perspective that it's 2021 and these spaces aren't safe for everyone. Um, Some of the other recommendations are on enforcing stricter quotas, Um, standing in solidarity with girls and young women who report sexual harassment and and abuse, creating educational and learning environments for all genders around the meaning of consent, which is something that I think really needs a big focus and that's something that is a really ground-level recommendation Mm -hmm. that really has a domino effect in society, that consent education. And, you know, to nurture girls' leadership ambitions and give them a seat at the decision-making table because Australia's political history, it it's really silenced so many people and I think it's gotten to the point where people have just given up. Oh, political aspirations? Oh, don't worry about it. It's never going to happen. So I think our recommendations are, yeah, as I said, like they're, they're quite mm. accessible and but yet still have the power to to make Parliament a safer place and in turn make Australia a safer and more equal and accepting place. Yeah, I know that uh, delving into some of the recommendations and the We Can Lead report, it sort of 
this was drawn to the foreground for me that the YAS really wants to see more diversity in our leaders in Parliament House. Margaret, why is it so important that we have a diverse pool of people craft our laws and policies? Well, I think <laughs> we, why isn't it important? I know. Um, <laughs> I mean, it should represent us, right? Is that basically yeah, Absolutely. Position? Like we absolutely need to be reflecting Parliament. We need to be reflecting Australia yes. in our Parliament. We need to see the people in our parliament who look and sound like the people that you meet when you go into our communities. And I'm not just talking about affluent communities, but, you know, all walks of life, uh, you know, I'm in Sydney and it's such a huge place with all sorts of different people. And I know most of Australia is like that. And I think I'm just tired of, you know, wondering whether, you know, these people who are sitting in parliament right now, how can they possibly know the things that I might need or that Mm -hmm. someone who's, just immigrated to Australia might need, Um, you know, how can when there's such a, you know, predominantly white upper middle class group of people and particularly men, as we've Mm -hmm. seen (laughs) as of late, um, how can they possibly have enough insight and knowledge to be able to address the issues that are specific to our communities and to really do better and provide us with that intersectional activism that we really need. You know, we, we need to not just be providing blanket opportunities just randomly for our citizens, but really looking at specific communities and what they need. And how can we have that if we don't have anyone from those communities leading us? Yeah, I feel a lot of solidarity in this conversation in the sense that I know that like myself in my friendship groups, I've been having conversations with my girlfriends about, you know, we we all know that these issues are there. It's like no secret. And women have known it for years. Um, and I've been trying to sort of tease out how do we win uh, with my girlfriends, you know, just light conversations over wine, uh, live In your opinion, how do you think we can encourage a greater, more authentic representation of modern Australia in our halls of power? Modern Australia is so beautifully diverse and I feel really lucky to live in a country that so many different people call home, but I simply think it's not good enough that our political sphere isn't representative of this diversity and hence it's really not as not as powerful or effective as it could be. The politicians aren't there to represent themselves. They're there to represent their communities and our country. And because dominant social norms have such a present in parliament, you know, which has traditionally been perceived to be a man's role, in Australia, middle-aged white men are something like six to one, like overrepresented, which Mm. is just mind-boggling. Anyone who's not part of the white male category, people of colour, particularly Aboriginal Australians, women and non-binary people, disabled people, members of the LGBTQIA plus community, they're all excluded from representation. And despite some societal shift in terms of equal representation, representation in parliament, many young people don't believe that they have a chance of entering politics because of their identities. I think that in order to encourage more young girls and gender diverse people to enter politics, there needs to be really clear, key pathways for them to explore their political aspirations. Mentoring, internships, graduate programs, youth programs, 
they're all ways to show disheartened young people that there is a place for them at the table and that they can pursue a political career if that's what they really want. I also think that a really key component of getting more women into politics, as well as achieving gender equality on a more universal scale, which let's be honest, is the end goal, is to encourage more men to be allies. Mm -hmm. Men and boys can be allies for gender justice, you know, by facing the concerns of gender inequality honestly and openly, talking about it with one another, standing up for a society free of violence and discrimination against women, girls, non-binary people. They need to listen to women's experiences. They need to develop an intersectional perspective of feminism and equality in general and free themselves of harmful gender stereotypes that perpetuate this cycle that we see in society. The only way to truly create an equitable society, I think, is to fight for equality and justice together universally. And in order to do this, we need a parliament that's truly representative of our nation. You are both so awesome. I, uh, Margaret, you mentioned the research project we can lead earlier and the statistic that I found really like genuinely upsetting is that 81% of young women 18 to 25 which you're both in that age bracket have never considered or aspired to be prime minister you're you're already both influences in the political ecosystem through YAS. Have either of you ever considered politics more formally? Have you taken any first steps? And what is holding you back, do you think, Margaret? Uh, yeah, this question's always so hard. Um, I think uh, as an artist, I currently feel that my role is helping to shift that cultural, social, mm-hmm. conversational landscape um, in making art and uh, shifting the kind of popular culture um, around the issues at hand and changing the conversation that way um, because I think art holds people to accountability and authority in a way that no other industry actually can, um, which is why they're always trying to cut funding to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for me, um, you know, I, as I said earlier, you know, I grew up around politics and I think I've seen the real negative side of what it what impacts it can have Um so I personally feel a little bit averse to it, if I'm being honest, but, uh, you know, never say never, maybe someday. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's important to not delegitimize the, like, I think also sometimes we can hold politics up as sort of like the one and only way to make change. And I think that a lot of people, you know, you talk about your art, I think people are influencing the world you know, if they are wonderful progressive people, which I <laughs> I would hope everyone is, but, you know, the reality is not true. Um, people are making cha- changes, be them radical or in- incremental in their own sort of space in whatever they're doing. That being said, Olivia, are we getting you pre-selected? <laughs> yes. Good. <laughs> Look, I'm not 100%. Um, set on any particular career path at the moment. I mean, I just started uni this year and it's a five-year degree, so got a a wee bit to go. But, um, yeah, look, politics is definitely on the table as a choice. If someone said, do you want to be prime minister? I wouldn't say no. (laughs) Um, But I think, yeah, politics 
weirdly enough to say, you know, it's been something that's interested me from a young age. Um, and I think that it is disheartening when you hear about the treatment of women in, in parliament. Um, but, you know, even my mum, when I was younger, has expressed concerns, you know, she goes, she would, she would never tell me I couldn't do something that I wanted to, but she said like, it it's just doesn't seem like a place for women. Like, are you sure you want to, you want to be there? And it was funny because I hadn't really thought of it like that the first time she'd said it. And then I was like, oh, like maybe not, maybe that's not a place that like a young woman belongs, which is not right. That is wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that's, that's why I feel so honoured to be a part of the work that Yaz is doing because no one should feel like they can't do something if they want to. Um, yeah, and I think so, that, like, yeah. I feel like your mum isn't necessarily saying that you don't belong there, which you would know anyway. Yeah. But I think it's people, you know, my partner, so- sometimes I'll, like, joke around, we'll be watching the news or something and we'll, we'll joke about things more more seriously, like pre-selection and becoming a member of parliament and what steps would need to be taken. And my partner said to me, like, oh, you don't want to, like, it's so, like, toxic. It's... And I think that's really it. It's almost yeah. about, it's almost fits into this greater conversation about sort of preserving your mental health and your own energy. And until the until we can solve some of this, really get to the systematic change part, it kind it isn't a nice place for women. Exactly, it's definitely a like weighing out the pros and cons. Like, what are you going to get out of it? Is it even worth it? But I think from my view and just all all of my thoughts me as a person I think that I yeah it's definitely something that I would be interested in pursuing if if that day came because I think that the passion that I have for driving positive social change and having a real impact on on the Australian people and I mean people everywhere I think that I would be honoured to ever be in that position. So, yeah. Thank you both for talking to me today. I can't wait to follow the work of the YAS in the future. Thanks for sharing your insights and a bit more insight into the Enough is Enough campaign. And people can head to the Plan International Australia website if they want to learn more about the YAS. Thanks, Margaret and Liv. In the House and in the Senate is recorded on the land of the Wadjuk people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and in the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also, be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House in the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, throwbacks to my time in staffing, and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at Alicia.AikenRadburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Bye bye. Goodbye to you. Bye. <laughs> Next question. (laughs) See ya. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.